Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. All right, so we are in part two of Jesus Is. We are finishing this this statement, Jesus is, how would you fill that blank in? What would you say if somebody, let's say Carrie Jones, aka Blazion Rock, right, came up to you and asked, hey, Jesus is, how would you fill in that blank? And there's so many different answers we could say. And so many different things people say. I mean, you know, we've had people say Jesus is a fake, Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is good. Like for, you know, there's 7.5 billion people on this planet. There's probably a couple billion answers that people would give to describe Jesus. But honestly, we've got to wrestle with this question, whether you are a Christian or whether you aren't, about how, who, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Why? Because we can't deny the influence of Jesus in this world. Not just as the, 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 the founder of Christianity, but just even as a person that is on planet Earth, think about it. You have secular historians that say things like this about Jesus. They say this. Kenneth Scott says, As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. That is someone that doesn't even believe that Jesus is Lord. It's crazy. Think, think about this here. H.G. Wells, he said this, I am an historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. He said he's not a believer. He doesn't believe that Jesus is who, is, is who he said he is, but at the same time, he acknowledges Jesus' influence on the world. Think about this. John, John Ortberg, a Christian author, says this, it says, at first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home, never held a political office, never wrote a book, never married, never had sex, never attended college, never visited a big city, never won a poker tournament. But yet more songs have been sung to him, more artwork created of him, more books written about him, 17,000, more than anyone who has ever lived. In fact, Jesus looms so large over human history that we actually measure time by him. Our calendar is divided into years before and after his birth. Think about the two biggest holidays we celebrate in this country are what? Easter, which celebrates what? The resurrection. And Christmas, that celebrates what? We can't get away from Jesus. We can't. Our culture has been so shaped by him. Our world has been so shaped by him that you've got to think about and answer the question, who is Jesus to you? How would you fill in that blank? So whether you are a Christian, whether you aren't, you've got to answer who the heck is Jesus to you, and your answer matters. And although, look, we could, you know, I could talk about a billion different things about filling in that blank who Jesus is, but at the, but at the same time, I really prayed and said, God, what do our people in, in this context, in this city, what do, who do they need to know Jesus is? Last week, we talked about how Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our rest. In our frantic, crazy, never-stop culture, Jesus is our rest. You can check out previous sermons and stuff like that, SoundCloud, 
iTunes. You can go on there, check it out, and get the podcast from last week. But also this week, I want to talk to you today about how Jesus is our payment. Jesus is our payment. Some of y'all are like, oh, yo, this is for me because I got bills I need to pay. And if all I got to do is just write on that bill, Jesus, and send it back in to the HRSD or to Newport News Waterworks, oh, this is a sermon for me today. My pastor said I could just write Jesus and send it in. Send him the bill, right? Jesus is our payment. We're going to talk about how Jesus is our payment today. Do you know we have a debt crisis in this country? We have a debt crisis nationally. Um, I don't even know what the debt number's up to right now. $22, $23 trillion that we have as a country put on credit, spent money, $23 trillion more than we've brought in or we've produced. So we are spending more than we have. And this debt crisis has not just gone from a national level, it's also gone to more of an individual level, where I pulled this off of a USA Today article from 2017 that talked about the average national debt of individual families. And it said the average debt of a family in this country is $137,000. When you include credit card debt, when you include auto loans, when you include those hellacious student loans, how many of y'all are praying that just student loan company just loses your student loans. Like, Jesus, I pray for every hand raised. In Jesus' name, I pray right now for the spirit of forgetfulness on every single organization that has these people's student loans. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. That is the loudest amen we've ever received. I'm just kidding, at this church, right? Mortgage, so we've got all of this stuff that we are, you know, getting, and we're living way beyond our what we're bringing in. So we've got this massive debt. How many of y'all know this, the, the feeling of having debt? It literally feels like you're a slave, doesn't it? Yeah. It feels like you are just enslaved to this God of debt that you just can't get away from. Like I know Kristen and I, we've paid off our final credit card three weeks ago. Like y'all, we ain't never had, we ain't never not had credit card debt for 10 years. We'd had credit card debt because there was, it was tough times. Kristen wasn't working. I was the only one working. We had, to, you know, we had to do what we had to do. So put it on a credit card, put it on a credit card, put it on a credit card. And we, we finally, because we got a good tax return because we had kids. How many of y'all know kids are great for the tax return? Praise God. Like, they, they pay for themselves at tax time. I just, I'm just looking at my kids. Jackson, I love you more than I ever have. Judah, I love you so much. Dallas, come here and give your daddy a hug. Right? I'm just like, I love y'all. You know, so we were able to... Get that credit card. Yeah, come on. I to get, able to get that credit card paid off. We got a little bit more student, student loan debt. But part of me is like, I'm going to pay that till I'm dead. So just whatever. Y'all just take that out of my check. We're all good, right? But, but, but just that feeling of getting your debt paid off. You feel free. You feel free. You feel free. Scripture actually says this talking about debt in Proverbs 20, 22. Two, it says this, the rich will rule over the poor, and the, and, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. It's, just, it's that feeling you have when, you're, when you are not in the plus, you are in the, you are in the minus, and you have a debt to pay. You feel like a slave to that debt. And here's the thing. We could talk about our, you know, our personal debt, national debt, but nothing compares 
to the debt that we all have and that we all owe when it comes to God. We all have a spiritual debt. Actually, it's spiritual bankruptcy that we can't file chapter 12 for, chapter 11 or whatever, right? We can't file bankruptcy protection to save us from, but it is the spiritual debt that we all have with God because of our, get ready for it, churchy word here, sin. Some of y'all, you've been in church a long time, so you know what that word means. But at the same time, if you aren't churched or possibly you don't know what that word sin means, sin is simply a simple way of saying you're going to do your own thing instead of doing what God requires. It's you saying my way is better than God's way. My way is better than God's way. And y'all, this has been the story of scripture. This has been the story in the Bible since the very beginning is this whole story. God had a great plan. God had purposes, but man through their own willful choice, their own willful decisions said, God, thanks, but no thanks. I'm gonna do what I wanna do because I think my way is better. You can see it in Genesis 3, in the very beginning of Scripture, you see how, how, how God places Adam and Eve in a garden, and they're both naked and, un, and unashamed. And they can eat from whatever tree they want to. Like, I don't know about you, man, but that sounds like heaven to me. I got my woman, I got some food, and we're naked. Can I be real? <laughs> Can I just be a real pastor here today? Like, I mean, I just flat out. Here's the thing, right? My son Dallas yesterday, he was outside, had only his pull-up on, playing in the dirt, hanging out outside. I was telling Kristen, I was like, that's what I want to do. I just want to be able to go around in my house in my underwear and not just go outside, cut the grass, but I can't because I'm an adult, right? But he can do it. But, but I'm just like, there, there was, God set them up to be free. God set them up nicely, but because of their heart to want to be God, they went and turned their own way and blatantly and willfully disobeyed what they knew what God's best was. And what you see in scripture is that cut relationship. It's because they wanted their own way. Scripture says they were separated from God. Not because God didn't, didn't love them, but because they wanted to do their own thing. Some of you right now, you are parents of children that have decided to do their own thing. And you know what that feels like. When you know your children are not walking in the truth, you know that they are walking in folly. You know what that feels like. But you see, what happens is that when, whenever God confronts them and talks to them, this whole blame game starts. Adam was like, yo, God, it was the woman you gave me. She messed me up. Right, dudes? Because that's, that's what we do. We blame the woman, right? Just it was her problem. You know, if I just, you know, her, she's got some, you know, and we just, we just blame shift. It's all the woman's fault, you know? But, but, but then the woman was like, oh, yo, God, it's Satan. It ain't my fault. It's Satan's fault. And so it goes into this whole blame game thing where no one wants to take responsibility for their mess. Everyone wants to push it on someone else. It was Satan. It was this woman. We push it off on people and the devil, but we don't want to take responsibility. That's, that's, that, that, that still happens now. We blame other people for decisions we willfully choose. And we blame circumstance. We blame 
people. And what we do is we shift responsibility and blame because we enjoy being a victim. But, but what we've got to see is, is that God doesn't shift responsibility. God knows whose fault it is. And, and, and I'll be honest, like, I can, like it, it is our fault. We have a debt with God that we could not pay. Now, that is the bad news. Look, if it's your first time here, I'm, things are going to get better, okay? Welcome to this church. That was the bad news, right, that we have all sinned. Scripture actually says this here, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, like all have chosen our way above God's way and fall short of God's Glory, like, it's like, we're all spiritually bankrupt. Not just you, not just your cousin Patty or your uncle Ron. Like, all of us are spiritually bankrupt. And what Paul continues on saying is, look, it says, for the wages, the outcome of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like, what Paul's saying here is like, look, we all have a spiritual debt, and the end result of that spiritual death is, is hell, and I know some of y'all think hell is just this fiery place of just hot and torment, but at the same time, hell is simply people saying, I would rather pay my own debt than let God pay it. And they willfully choose God, thanks, but no thanks, I'm good, I'm going to do my own thing. We think hell is God punishing people. Hell is people saying, I'd rather do my own thing than go God's way. So look, that's, that is the bad news. That is all of the spiritual states of all people. But then let me, let me throw in here the good news, okay? The good news is God knew this. So God sent his son, Jesus, and that's why we're talking about this whole Jesus is thing, because y'all need to wrestle with and think through and process and see how it applies to your life, who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus came down from his comfortable heaven into earth and took on a human form just like us. He dealt with the same stuff we did, was put into a family where he had parents and brothers and sisters, grew up, and scripture says he lived a perfect sinless life, and this was even attested to by his own family. If anyone knows you well, it's your family. If anyone's going to get you in trouble, your brothers and sisters, they're going to do it. And then they're going to call you out on it. But the crazy thing was, some of the people that wrote scripture and wrote eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life attested to the fact that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. But Jesus did not just live a perfect, sinless life. What do we also hear and see and just and, and ultimately know what Jesus did? He didn't just do that. He went to the cross and died a horrific death in our place and for our sins. And what scripture actually says, he took our place. He took our penalty. The debt that we owed God, Jesus said, look, you can't even pay your debt. Let me go and pay your debt for you. So Jesus lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you should have died in your place and for your sin. And Jesus became, and that's the whole point of this, Jesus became your payment. Jesus became your payment. Now, look, I could talk about the cross till I'm blue in the face. I could string together words that were so beautiful and poetic and powerful and try to persuade you about the weight of the cross, what the cross accomplished, what the cross did. And I'm going to try to actually do that. But at the same time, this is something that I believe since we don't have crucifixion in our culture no more, we forget how gruesome, atrocious, and hellacious it was. Because we're not just crucifying people out here on City Center Boulevard, right? 
So we're not seeing crucifixion many times in culture. So we can sometimes forget what crucifixion was, the pain that it did. Here's the thing. Romans were good at, uh, at probably two things, war and pain. And Rome developed the cross. Crucifixion is what they call it. That's where we actually get the word excruciating. That word means from the cross because it means that that, that that was the genesis of that word because it was so excruciating. Rome said they're going to get the most punishment and pain from being crucified on the cross before they die. It was the worst way to die because you were up there for hours and hours and hours until you passed. And Rome developed this idea of, cruci- of, of crucifixion, and this is how our Savior and Lord Jesus died. But honestly, I, I feel like many times in church, we forget the cross because it becomes common. Yeah, Jesus, is, Jesus died on the cross. I know. Died for my sin. I know. And, and I, I just think, y'all, I, I just think it's good every, every time, every single year, we have this kind of, this time in the church calendar where we can pause and we could do something like on Palm Sunday, like we're doing now, that kind of starts Jesus' week leading up to the cross and to his resurrection. We can pause and take some time and focus and think about the cross and the pain and what it accomplished and what it did for us. Because honestly, y'all, let's just be honest, man. We can like, you know, how many of y'all like spring cleaning? You know what I'm saying, man? Spring cleaning is kind of all about getting stuff in your garage tidied up, getting all this stuff that's kind of like in your garage back out and kind of just getting the stuff that's junk back in the garage and just kind of getting all of the clutter out, you know? And then we, then we kind of look, and, 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 and really honestly, I feel like what we almost need to do during, during this time leading up to Easter Sunday is we need to do some spiritual declutterment where we kind of like, I don't know what that is love you know and 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 just oh what christmas tree there you go apparently this is lifehouse church christmas stuff but also too though what we need to do is we need to dig down and we need to find the cross again and in the clutter of our crazy lives our busy lives we can lose the cross. We can lose its power. We can lose its purpose. We can lose its authority. And I just feel like today needs to be a day where we try to feel the weight of the cross, where we know the debt that we owed God. No, we couldn't pay it because all of us have sinned. All of us aren't perfect. All of us have screwed up multiple times, and we will continue to. But also know that Jesus went and died on the cross in your place and for your sin. We need to feel the weight of that. But like I said, I can't just talk you into it. I believe we almost need to see it. So look, many of you guys know, years ago, 2005, I'm getting old. That was 14 years ago. Jesus help me. Many years ago, Mel Gibson created this film called The Passion, where I believe out of every movie about Jesus's life. This was the most real. This was the most raw. This was the one that really created a picture for us about what crucifixion really was. So look, I know this isn't, I know this isn't probably the smartest thing to do, but I need you to feel the weight of the cross. I just, I need you to. 
for your heart and for your soul and for this service and for this season. So look, we're going to watch a four-minute clip of this, of this movie because, like I said, we don't have crucifixion in this culture, so I need you to feel it. I, I need you to see it. Maybe you've seen this movie. Maybe you haven't. I'll just tell you now, it is gruesome. If you have a weak stomach and you need to take some time and take a four-minute potty break, you're more than welcome to go and do that. But I would challenge you, try to actually watch it, stomach it, because I need you to see what this was, what it entailed, so you can feel the weight of it. Watch this.
That should have been us. That is what sin cost. That was the debt we owed. But Jesus said, I'll step into your place. I'll put the sin of the world on me. He didn't deserve it, but he took your pain and made it his problem. He took your sin and put it on him and said, I got you. He stepped into the courtroom of your life and took your verdict. Jesus took the pain, but gives you the benefit, which is now a restored relationship with God, the opportunity to be in right relationship with God, to have your debt paid. Isaiah 55, excuse me, 53, 5 through Six tells us this. This was actually prophesied a thousand years before this happened. Isaiah prophesying said this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, right? We've all done our own thing. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. However, Paul says this in Colossians 2, verse 3, verses 13 through 15, when talking about what the cross accomplished. When you were dead in your sins, here's the thing, you weren't just a bad person, right? I think sometimes think Christianity is all this, oh, Christianity just want to make you a good, nice person. No, Christianity doesn't just want to take you from being a bad person to being a good person. Christianity wants to take you from being dead to being alive. When you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled, here's the thing, the charge of our legal indebtedness. There was a price to be paid, which stood against us and condemned us. In other words, ruled over us, enslaved us. He has taken it all away by what? The payment of the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What Paul is, is saying here is the cross is actually God's triumphal voice telling Satan, you lost. Give me my people back. The doorway has been opened. Everybody come on home. But what I love is, he said, the legal indebtedness, essentially saying the cross was the payment. And what you heard Jesus say, and what Jesus said in John chapter 19, verse 30, what he said there was, it has been accomplished. But what scripture says here, it says, when he received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. What that word finished it or, or or what that phrase it is finished actually is in Greek is okay, let me try to say this. 
tetelestai. Tetelestai. What that word means, there's actually a few different meanings in the Greek language for it, but actually the biggest meaning for it is it's actually a business term that somebody would say whenever they had a debt and they went and paid it, they would say, tetelestai. So, so let's say they had some, you know, I don't know, camel they were renting or a camel they bought, right, in Jesus' day. And they, and they had a debt with that camel. They would take, take their full payment and they would say, tetelestai. Essentially saying, what I owed has now been paid in full. And what Jesus said, when right before he gave up the ghost, right before he gave up his spirit, right before he, he passed, the final words out of his mouth were, it has been paid in full for you. So y'all look, I need y'all to feel the weight of this. I need y'all to feel the debt you owed, that, that you couldn't pay, you were bankrupt. I need, you, I need you to know what Jesus did in your place and for your sin and the debt that was paid for you. So now you are free. Now you're debt free because of what Jesus did. But now we have to say, how does all of that apply to us right here, right now, in your life, in your context, right? So there are a couple, a couple implications that we need to take from the cross. First off is this. If you forget the debt you owed, sin debt, and that Jesus paid, you'll never give lesser stuff to God. And what I mean by that is this. If you don't understand what you were saved from, if you don't understand the debt that God paid on your behalf, then you will never offer back to God your life because you will always think God owes you. Let me tell you something, people. God doesn't owe us. He doesn't owe us a thing. You know what God owes us? H-E double hockey sticks, right? Like, that's what we deserve. That is what our actions, based on our human innate nature, that is what we deserve, but God doesn't thankfully give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. We needed a savior. And if we don't grasp that, we will never give God lesser stuff. And what I mean by, by lesser stuff I mean this, your identity. You will never give God your reputation. You will never give God your money or your focus or your lifestyle or your security. If you don't understand what God has paid for you, you will always resist giving him things that are already rightfully his. And some of y'all feel that. It's almost like you almost feel like God owes you. It's kind of like God, you know, he, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, but at the same time, you know, does God really want my money? Does God really want my time? Does God really want my treasure? Does God really want my talent? Does God really want this stuff? And the answer to that is absolutely yes, because it's not yours anyway. God bought it back. He paid the debt. And, and so look, the only legitical, legitical, what the heck does that word? I'm, this is my second service. I'm tired. I told y'all, get your boy a monster energy drink. I just made up a word, legitical. I actually combined logical and one other word I'm thinking about. Legit. Serious moment gone. Okay, no, it's just, 
Let's bring it back in. The most legitimate, logical response. I'm sorry, I'm going to be laughing over that for a while. The most legitimate, logical response to the cross is surrender. Is surrender. How could you hold anything back from God in light of the debt that God has paid? How could you live with closed hands? How, how, how could you live, really, God, you want me to give that up? Really, God, you want me to give that up? Really, God, you want me to, you want me to give that up? In light of what God saved you from, give up everything. <laughs> give it up. Why? Because he gave everything for you. The most logical response to the cross. Check this out. Luke chapter 7. This is actually a story in Jesus' life that Jesus turns into a parable. We're going to actually read the whole thing. It says this here. When, uh, this is Luke 7, 36 through 47. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. First off, Jesus, he was an equal opportunity eater. Jesus was always going where the food was. He didn't care if it was a Pharisee. He didn't care if it was a sinner. Like, Jesus went where the food is. I think we need to be more like Jesus and go where the food is. If anyone invites you over to eat, just go and be like Jesus, right? 37, though. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Wouldn't you love to be called that? The woman who lived a sinful life? The woman who lived a sinful life. So she had a reputation. She wasn't just someone that maybe slept with someone. She had a sinful life. And what Scripture implies here is that whenever it says sinful life, it means that she lived the life of a prostitute. When, when a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, <laughs> I just love this, were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. How self-righteous. Yeah. Like, how self-righteous. And this is what always Pharisees do. They miss the miracle because the sheer miracle that this woman would be at Jesus' feet, re repenting of, of of her sin. Pharisees always define people by what they were instead of who God can make them to be. And I pray that we would never be a church that simply defines people by, by what they currently are, but sees the potential in them for what they can be. Just a little side note. It says, though, Jesus answered him, Simon. So Jesus is, is like, um, let me tell you something there, Simon. Something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain, to a certain money lender. So they were in debt. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So they were bankrupt. From the time I entered... No, sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, hold up. So he forgave the debts of both. Which of, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water from my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I came in has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven of little loves little. 
that phrase right there scares the mess out of me. Because I don't want to live like I've been forgiven of little. I don't want my life to speak and my life to live like I haven't had a debt paid. I want my life to shout to the world, my debt has been paid. I have been rescued. So y'all, my challenge to us is in light of the cross, let us live like we've been, like our debt's been paid. Let us worship like our debt has been paid. Like it boggles my mind how we can come into this place many, many times and be concerned about what other people think about the way that we worship. Who cares? This woman showed us, she said, I have been forgiven. I'll follow Jesus' feet. I'll kiss his feet. I'll cry. I'll, I'll wipe his feet with my tears. The overflow of her changed life was an outward expression. Y'all, we don't need to be concerned about what each other think about the way that we worship. We need to worship like we've been forgiven. We need to give like we've been forgiven. We need to love like we've been forgiven. Like we need to show the world. Let's love the world, show the world, live like our debt has been paid. Because if we don't realize the depth of our sin, we will never realize the magnitude of God's grace. If we don't realize the depth of our bankruptcy, we will never see the glory and beauty of what Christ did for us on the cross. And I can't preach this in, into you, church. I can't do it. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. I can't say enough words to try to convict you or try to whatever you change, 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 you know, change you. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit. And, and right now, he's knocking on some of y'all's hearts. And he's been knocking. And you know he's been knocking. But you've, you know, did you know how, how just uh, simply annoying it is to have someone knocking on your door? I got three kids that have kids in the neighborhood. And they'll come over two minutes apart. Hey, can Jackson play today? No. Come back three minutes later. Can Jackson play? Did I stutter? I didn't stutter this time. I might stutter every other time, but I didn't stutter this time. Right? I didn't stutter this time, Johnny. So no, he can't come out. This keeps on coming. Keeps, and, 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 but here's the thing. For some of y'all here, the Holy Spirit's been knocking. He's been knocking. And, you've been want, and it's been annoying to you. It's been annoying. Because you, you, you know the truth. You know what's right. But you said, I'm, I'm this God. I'm going to do me. But I'm telling you, Today, you can have your debt paid. You can, instead of Jesus just sitting there knocking, and that's what Scripture tells us. He stands at the door and knocks. You can open the door and let him in and receive the debt payment that you so desperately need because you can't pay it. Let's live like our debt has been paid. Secondly, though, if you forget the debt you owed and that Jesus paid, you'll never pay it forward. Isn't it a beautiful thing whenever you're at Starbucks or something like that, and you're like in line, and next thing you know, you pull up, and they're like, someone paid for you. Pay it forward. And there's this whole pay it forward move, movement, right? That's like, do something nice for somebody, and when someone does something nice for you, just pay it forward. Basically, give what you've been given. 
extend to somebody what somebody has extended to you. Do you know that whole pay it forward movement is literally the heart of the gospel? That you receive God's forgiveness. He pays your debt. And then since your debt has been paid, since God paid it, now then you take what has been so freely given to you and now you give it to others and pay their debt. I'm not saying die for their sin, but I'm saying in the same way Jesus forgave you, you need to now go and forgive others. And some of of you here, you are holding on to unforgiveness towards somebody that is honestly hindering you from accepting the forgiveness of God. And you're not going to be able to forgive that person until you receive God's forgiveness because the fuel for actually forgiving somebody else is the fuel of receiving God's forgiveness and God paying your debt and then you having the grace and the ability to pay someone else's debt because you realize the debt that's been paid for you. This is the gospel, y'all. It breaks the cycle. The gospel breaks the cycle instead of saying, I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to make you pay. You did wrong to me. I'm going to make you pay. And it says, because you've had your stuff paid for, now you go and pay for somebody else's stuff. This does not mean trust, though. Right? Forgiveness and trust are different. You can forgive somebody and set very healthy bound, bound and set, set very healthy boundaries. That doesn't mean letting that person back into your life. That doesn't mean putting things back to the way things were. But it simply means, you know what forgiveness literally means in the Greek language? It literally means to let it go. Literally is what that word means. And some of you here, you're trying to be normal. You're trying to live a Christ-filled life and you're trying to help people, but you're grasping on to what somebody did or said to you that your hands are not free to love and serve and give and bless because they're holding on to something that someone did or said to you. And what you need today is you need your debt paid so then you can pay someone else's debt and do this. Let it go had a sweet girl come, come up to me after service, 16 years old, crying her eyes out. And said, John, I realize today I've held something against my father. And today I gave my life to Christ, received his forgiveness. And today I know I let it go. That's, that is the gospel, y'all. That is the gospel. You get your debt paid and then you go and then we walk around as the people of God paying it forward. How how would that change your marriage? If instead of living this whole life of simply making your spouse pay for every time they do something wrong, you pay it forward. Not that you don't get counseling, not that you don't, If there's a continual pattern, you deal with that. But but here's the thing. Forgiveness isn't about you. Forgiveness, here's the thing. Forgiveness isn't all about them. Forgiveness is about you. It doesn't just set them free. It sets you free. And the the thing is that person never might change. But do you know who changes in the whole forgiveness process? The one that gives it. Because now you are not held bound by what that person did to you. What they did to you doesn't define you no more. You let it go. 
and you can now be defined by God's love for you instead of a traumatic event that happened to you. You can let it go and you're free to be defined and have your debt paid for and then you can pay it forward and pay someone else's debt because the bottom line is this, you will never forgive anyone more than God has forgiven you, ever. You'll never pay a debt more than God paid for you. And y'all, here's the thing. With the cross, you've, the cross has two different elements to it. It's got a vertical and it's got horizontal. And here's the thing. This is why the cross is so crazy good. Is because the cross deals with this relationship, vertical relationship. It deals with us and God. And since this is dealt with, we can now deal horizontally with those relationships that we have in our lives every single day. And a right relationship here empowers us to make stuff right here. So my question to you is, I wonder who today you've been withholding debt forgiveness from. And today God is challenging you and knocking on the door of your heart to extend grace and extend forgiveness, even if they don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it either. Like I said, this doesn't mean we set boundaries. This doesn't mean that we talk about ways in your life to possibly set up boundaries and talk about ways of properly processing it. But at the same time, in your heart, in your spirit, you can choose today to let it go and pay it forward. Can we stay in church? We've got 10 minutes. We're going to take communion together. We're going to sing. And here's the thing. I don't want no one moving around, no one leaving. Give us, give us a few minutes. We're, we're going to talk about this, process this, think, of, think about this, because I just think it's really important. Um, if, you, if you could just, just bow your head with me. God, you see every heart, every soul here. You know what every person's walking through. You know what every person's in. You know every broken relationship. You know every wounded heart. You know every crazy feeling. You know, God, you know it. And God, I pray for three types of people today, those that need their debt paid. They've, they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've been trying to pay their own debt, live a good life, and they have totally forgotten the gospel, which is we don't pay our debt. God pays it. We simply put our faith and trust in Jesus. I pray for those today that need to put their faith and trust in Christ. I also pray for those that are following Christ but have forgotten the cross. I pray they would encounter once again the hellaciousness the utter absurdity of the cross that Christ would go up there and die for us in our place and for our sin and I pray for those today God that need to let it go that need to pay it forward that need to give to somebody what they have been freely given by God Father I just pray that the message and image of the cross would challenge us We're just gonna sing, we're just gonna sing the song, Jesus at the center, and then also nothing but the blood. Just want us just to sing, sing like we've been forgiven. Let's, let's, let's worship like our debt has been paid. And let's just take a few moments right now, sing and worship, then I'm gonna come back up. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, 
feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.